When you add something of value that drives revenue, yeah. it doesn't matter what color you are. Right. Everybody listening. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. So Chris Winton, I'm the Vice President of Human Resources for FedEx Services. I'm Don Comer, Vice President of Operations Analysis for FedEx Corporation. Gentlemen, I've had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with you and, uh, you know, learn a bit about our FedEx and the things that you guys have and that are, that's moving on uh, now. But I think one of the big questions for our audience uh, audience members uh, is that, you know, we have some people who are professionals who are looking to continue, you know, to grow in their professions. We have some people who are moonlighting and also some people who are entrepreneurs. But you've successfully both had a 20-plus year career in corporate America. Uh, what have been some of the keys to you getting to where you are now? For me, it was starting out with a goal and going, all right, let me work full-time in IT. Uh, so my first you know, goal was to become chief information officer of the company. Uh, well, the interesting thing is, is as you start to get older and, and then life events come about, you start to learn about yourself and what you're really passionate about. And so that was what made the turn for me to move into the HR space because it aligned more with my passion. What were uh, some of the indicators for you that helped you understand that HR was more of a passion than being in IT? So uh, probably over the first 10 years of my career, my, my bookshelf was all technology-based. Mm -hmm. And then just slowly over a period of time, mm -hmm. the books on the shelf started to transition mm -hmm. to more books about leadership, culture, uh, helping others reach their full potential. Mm -hmm. And all of the technology books moved to the bottom of the shelf. So even I didn't realize what was happening right. over time, and then other people started say, speaking it to me, uh, and finally I started to listen. Okay. Okay. What about you, Don? Uh, my story is a little bit different. Uh, I've been at FedEx for 28 years, but I've also had opportunities at other companies that uh, have been uh, really fruitful in getting me to where I am. Um, my undergraduate degree is in accounting. And uh, most of my early experience was in finance. So I've gone through finance, accounting, I've been an auditor, uh, I've worked in marketing, I've had a stint in IT, and now I am in operations analysis and I'm doing uh, decision science, which is a, a discipline that uh, nowhere was it on my, uh, my career plan. But uh, I'm somewhere and uh, at, at this point in my career, I'm re-energized and excited, and, and I'm in learning mode. I am learning something new and different, and uh, my motivation has always been to be uh, a contributor and to be able to gauge my impact on the bottom line of the corporation. 
So uh, I'm in a role where I'm on the front end of a lot of the thinking that goes on, and I'm excited about the possibilities, uh, both for myself personally as well as for the corporation. Now, you, you touched on something that I think is very important, right? And you actually touched on it too. Uh, Chris, you're 57 years old, mm -hmm. and you just said that you're learning new things. A lot of times people get caught up where it's like, oh, you know what, I've reached a certain level of success, or I've reached this age, and now... I, you know, I don't need to learn anything else. Mm -hmm. what, is, what drives that burning fire inside of you that makes you say, okay, you know what, I want to keep learning, I'm committed to this, and that you want to even keep working, you know, to be at the front of this, uh, in the front of your brain? Mm -hmm. I think uh, continuous learning has always been important to me. Uh, I, I learned that very early in life that I, I needed to know things. And, and fortunately, I've always been able to be in the company of people people I consider to be smart and people that always made me better because I had to think harder to keep up with where they are. You know, I look at where I came from, from some very humble begin beginnings in rural West Tennessee, uh, and I tell people all the time, I live a life now that my mind at that point wasn't big enough to even conceive of. So uh, I'm very uh, grateful for where I came from, but when I look ahead and I look at the people, even the people that I see here uh, to this weekend, movers and shakers and, and innovators, and I think I still got a long way to go. So I got to work hard. I got to continue to learn. I got to try to find out what that guy knows that I don't know so that I can continue to move forward. Uh, you know, at 57, you know, of course, I'm looking at what's next for me in my career, and, and I know that I always want to work. I always want to contribute, and I always want to make an impact and leave a footprint. So one of the things that always impressed me about Donald, so I reached uh, this position as vice president of HR at age 39, okay. which for an African-American male in our company, that's an oddity. Okay. Uh, but for me... And, and let me say, that's not just an oddity within FedEx, that's an oddity in our black community. If you look at the statistics, most African-Americans don't reach the level that, that Chris has attained by age 39. It's usually much later in life and I'm probably more typical because uh, I attained much later than Chris did. So we talk about uh, you know, who is your hero and who you admire. I, Chris is my hero and he's who I admire because I look at his accomplishments and how early in his career he's made those things and, and the continuing impact that he does. Within our company we talk about uh, be careful, to, uh, uh, be aware of the shadow that you cast. Chris shadows a Chris projects a major shadow, and lots of people fall underneath that. And I get really excited about his contributions. Didn't mean to interrupt you, Chris, well, but okay. I had to say that. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, interesting enough, though, it was people like Donald that I was watching when I was an intern. And I think if anything that the listeners can take away is, is pick those individuals who you respect, who you look up to, who you admire and seek wisdom from them. So Donald doesn't, probably doesn't remember the 27-year-old me who was a manager who was getting time just to chat with him and go, hey, if you could come back and be 27 again at this stage, what would you do differently? And the only thing that was wise about what I did in my journey is, is I listened to brothers like that and said, well, I'm gonna just execute and trust the wisdom that's passed to me instead of trying to figure it out myself. So how did you, discern who you should listen to and who you shouldn't. 
Yeah, I know sometimes, you know, you got like Slumdog Millionaire fake uh-huh. right, but, you know, don't ask for the miracle. Look, scripture's true, man. The you judge a tree by the fruit it bears. Mm. And so you can you can see the shadow of people and what they're casting mm-hmm. and the fruit or lack thereof that comes. Yeah. Uh, as, as Maya Angelou always said, if somebody tells you who you are, who they are, believe them. Yeah. The first time. So so I always I was it was, it was just tremendous for me to have brothers like Donald Colmer and and other individuals that look like me who I can look up to and go, all right, I'm following that path. And I'm listening to the wisdom of the things where they said, I wish I had went left. Uh, and that cost me some time because I did it that way. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to just go left. Right. <laughs> so... When you're walking in on a daily basis, you're walking into an environment that doesn't necessarily look like you. Is there anything particular or special that you have to tell yourself in order to make sure that you can endure uh, this particular environment and it might not necessarily be catered to or, or native you know, to you? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to surround yourself with a, a network of supporters. Okay. You might even call them cheerleaders. Okay. Or sometimes just people who will help you to reground you and reestablish uh, a new sense of norm for you. Uh, and I do that through, there's a couple of uh, organizations and uh, uh, conferences that I attend because as an African-American or a black man in corporate America, sometimes it's hard to not get to a point where you think it's all personal. But when you can find those of like mind and network, you find out that they're dealing with some of the same challenges and same struggles. And the sharing helps you to reset and to level set and to realize that it's not all personal, that it is a part of the culture uh, of the organization sometimes, the, the larger culture, culture within the United States. And you just have to, to adjust and work the culture. And you know, cultural fit is a big deal, especially within a corporation. We talk about you know, who's my manager, we talk about what the work content is, but just as important is understanding the cultural fit and whether how much of your personal values you have to trade off. So, you know, I found a place at FedEx where uh, the trade-offs in, my, in terms of my personal values, in terms of um, my, my career goals and aspirations, I don't have to make a whole lot of trade-offs. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a good ride for 28 years. And, uh, you know, every day I get up and I'm excited about what I'm doing. And like I say, in the, in, with this last new position that I'm in, I'm even more exciting because it's, it's, it's new, it's different. And uh, I'm, I'm just ecstatic about the opportunity that I have. When y'all found out that you were being promoted each separately at different times, mm-hmm. what was the feeling that you got? Like, what was the in- internal feeling when you found out that this promotion was coming? Mm. For me, I'm going to point out two promotions because they were very different. Okay. So, you know, having a, a IT career and then shifting to HR, so within IT, you know, starting out as an IT intern, my first marker for me was managing director within IT. Okay. I, I prepared for it. I studied it. You know, I spent my nights and weekends reading up, preparing for it. I sought out mentors who were there so I could see myself in the position. I literally would stand in the mirror and pose for the picture 
because at the managing director level, we take your company photo yeah. and it's put in, in the directory. Okay. So that's the level you have to reach for your picture to be in the directory. Okay. Yeah. I used to pose in the mirror for how I was going <laughs> to take that picture and even put out the suit. That's, that's, that's so, visionary. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so, so would you pose in the mirror with the suit on? I posed in the mirror with the suit on. Uh, so so it was so so I was lasering in for that promotion. So when I got there, there was that sense of finally all of that work paid off. Mm. How long were you were you uh, you know posing in the mirror and literally you know affirming this and attracting this this the managing director position? That was ten years. Ten years from to, from year one, you was literally. I started posing in the picture with that in mind at age twenty two, and made managing director in IT at thirty two. I, I literally walked into uh, a managing director's office yeah. at the time and said, I want your job, tell me how to get it. Now, fortunately, it was it was a brother right. who, <laughs> who wasn't mad about right, it, but right, right. he but he, look, look, well, but he did tell me, he's like, well, well you got to first learn what it means to lead, and if you really want to learn what it means to lead and be a servant leader, I'll teach you, but you're going to put in the work. So we went on a journey for the next literally 10 years, from 22 to 32, and it's you know it's amazing how things end up working. He's still he's still with the company as a managing director, actually in that same area. But interesting enough, the when I got promoted, the office that I took was his old office, the same office we stood in and had that conversation. So sometimes I think that's God winking at you. Yeah. So. What is it, number one, what is it that made you pick him mm -hmm. out of everybody else? And then, number two, what kept you motivated over those 10 years? Because I know it was some ups and downs, you just like that man. Mm -hmm. The reason I picked him, I mean, in no uncertain terms, he looked like me. Okay. And he was one of the few. As a matter of fact, in IT, he was the only mm. at that time. So the fact of having someone that looked like me in the position, and then once I met him, I could tell his spirit was right where he genuinely wanted to help a young brother who walked in, and, and I was cocky. I was, I was, I was young, I, I knew everything, uh, and he's like, but you know what, I'll teach you. Right. And so for the next 10 years, now there were several promotions that led up to that, right, which right. I think, you know, so progress also keeps you, keeps you going. Right. Uh, but once I reached that point of managing director, that was when it shifted that, well, I, gotta, I, gotta, I tried to pay him back and his wisdom to me was, now pay it forward. Right. Go help as many others as you can. Right. And that's how you pay me back. So that became my life's mission. So let me, let me share something with you that I think is important that, that, that about Chris's story that very much mirrors mine. I think uh, Chris did choose him, but uh, I don't think he was the, the key ingredient to the promotion. I think that the key ingredient was somebody who chose Chris, that chose Chris well before he became promoted. Somebody who was sitting at the table when, dis when discussions were being had about succession and who was going to be next. Uh, and he was chosen because of the quality of the work that he was delivering. And, uh, you know, I'll say the same thing about me. Uh, I don't recall a promotion at FedEx that I got where I chose to go for that promotion. It was always somebody who, who came to me and said, hey, have you thought about, maybe you should go for this, and uh, what can I do to support you? So you can never underestimate the power of a sponsor. 
somebody who is willing to lend some of their personal equity to get you to a place that you want to be, or sometimes not even a place that you know you want to be, but a place that they know that you ought to be based on the demonstrated hard work, commitment, and, and, and the, 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 the genius that you bring to work every day uh, and how it plays into the, the whole mix of getting things done for the, for the corporation. So I think that's an extremely, extremely uh, important thing because we often talk about having a sponsor, I mean, having a mentor, but what we all ought to aspire to is to earn a sponsor. You can request a mentor, but you have to earn a sponsor. Well, I, I think to just to add on a little bit to what Donald said, the way you earn a sponsor is with great work, not good work. And most people confuse the difference between good work and great work. Good work, you have to go sell yourself. Great work, other people talk about. It. It, and other people start to talk about how great that work was. So the work to get that I did to, to get me to the point of the position I'm in now as vice president, I never talked about. So you, you spoke about the first promotion and basically how it was a defining moment. What was that feeling when you got the second one? The, the second one, moving into vice president, was more of, I felt a sense of responsibility with this role. Because now I'm in a position of influence to really now create pathways for individuals and knock down barriers and policies that have been there traditionally for years. Yeah. So, you know, does certain requirements exclude a demographic just because it's been there traditionally for years, or does it really show the measure of an individual and their capability? Well, when you're in HR now, you can drive that policy and direction mm -hmm. and start to shift the dynamic where it truly becomes a diverse and inclusive environment. So, so for me, it was responsibility with that feeling. I, did, I didn't even want to have a party to celebrate. Now, my wife convinced me otherwise, and we, we enjoyed ourselves, but I, I it committed to the work at this point. So, can you uh, touch on the, the importance of mentors for you, Donald? Because now, now I see, when I, I just met you, you know, a couple of days ago, and I see you as kind of like being the mentor. But for you to get to where you are and then have to, what I look at as a sense of responsibility and to connect people, who were some of the people that were influential for you uh, on your journey that helped you to say, you know what, this is something that is family-oriented thing, you know what I mean? I meet good people, we all need to be connected. You know, I, that's an interesting question because, you know, I've done a lot of reflecting over the last few months as I look back on my career and, and just really think about it. Uh, I've been fortunate to have mentors all along the way, as early as high school, you know, I, in choosing my college and, and uh, actually finding scholarships to attend college. Uh, I had one, uh, my English teacher, who was real invested in helping me to get to college because I grew up in rural West Tennessee, I said that earlier, so to help me there. And uh, to go from college into my first corporate position, I ran across somebody doing an on-campus interview. You know, I probably wasn't perfect, and they said, but I see something in you. I'm going to get you to Memphis, and I'm going to get you this first interview here. So then that was there, and then I look. I went from, I went from Holiday Inn's corporate headquarters to International Paper because a friend was there and said, they got a job over here with your name on it, and I'm going to get you exposed to that. From International Paper to FedEx, 
somebody took my resume and walked it in to that. And, you know, and I started looking about that. I know I was prepared. I know I had good grades. You know, I knew that I'd done exceptional work, excellent work, as Chris might have said. But hard work isn't always what it, what it takes to get there. There's somebody getting there. And, I, and I've been fortunate. I've had some amazing people who uh, interceded on my behalf. And as I said earlier, a lot of times it was work I didn't even know. I was in a finance position and moved into a, a, an organization that was heavy IT focused because somebody said, I like what you do in finance. I know this is an IT org, but we're gonna have to do business cases in order to justify this new technology. Come on over. And before I knew it, I was leading a team that was focused on IT, a, a great blend of marketing and IT, transitioned into a marketing role. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been a great ride and uh, earning a mentor who is in reality a sponsor is the greatest success that an individual can have in terms of moving their careers forward. I always say that, you know, people always want to be a part of the success story. Mm -hmm. And the biggest, one of the other ways that you can pay back um, is to always do better than where it was that you started from when they mm -hmm. started helping you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you kind of like uphold their legacy by continuing to push forward with the work. And I think a lot of, a big thing that has been being said here at the conference is, you know, everybody keeps saying, you know, we have to do the work, we have to do the work. And to me, mm -hmm. that work sounds like you have to keep broadening your horizons so that you can keep broadening the horizons and have the influence, as you said, Chris, mm -hmm. for other people who are coming behind you. Right. You know what I mean? So that that is amazing. But as you guys have had these careers, again, 20-plus years, you know, growing and stretching, going from IT into, into HR, you going from... You know, uh, your your career path and your trajectory. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you uh, in your in terms of your growth and your evolution? And how have you actually uh, evolved? How did you evolve out of it? For me, it was shifting traditional thinking. Okay. So I was raised a certain way. You, know, you go to school, you make good grades, you get a good job with some benefits. <laughs> you know, you buy the buy the house, get married, white picket fence, two kids and a dog. That's success. Well, for me, I hadn't done all of that by the time I was 23. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, what do you, what do, you do now? Mm -hmm. So I started to realize that there were a lot of traditions. And I, I mean, and I was fortunately raised, you know, two-parent household. Uh, but I had to, there was a point in that career where I had to shift my traditional thinking. Uh, and I think it was right at that point when you know, I hit the director in IT and was going, all right, it, it started to become repetitive. Uh, then I started going stepping back and realized, well, why did I choose this field in the first place? Well, I chose it because my dad said you were going to be an engineer. So when I came out of school, the, the, the concept of who are you, what purpose and passions are down deep inside of you, that wasn't part of the dialogue when right. you were deciding on a career path. Right, right, right. Because uh, you were doing something that was projected upon you. Yeah. You mm -hmm. got to go to school, right. make good grades, you right. pick a field where you can buy you a house, a car, get married. So, so I started to re-examine all of those things. And then also another area I had to examine for myself was I was excluding myself from conversations at the leadership level. So you walk in the room and you're the only black man in the room. Right. So you assume that everybody at the table is viewing you a certain way. 
and you have to be measured in your speaking because they don't understand us. I went several years with that as my mindset. Well, I got to be twice as good before I can speak on an issue. Right. I can't sit here and say that that's that's totally true. Because when we start to really now speak on the issues, now the key is, though, you got to realize the business that you're in. So I stopped thinking of myself as an IT professional for FedEx or an HR professional. No, I'm here to ship packages because that's what we do for a living. That's what brings the bottom line revenue to the company. Right. And this is a company I work for. And so you started to shift more towards what the company's purpose and mission is. And so now when you start doing that, that forces you to start thinking much broader. It forces you to start watching CNBC. It forces you to start reading different literature. It forces you to think differently so that when you are seated at the table, you bring a different contribution. So I'm not just the HR guy sitting at the table. No, we can talk about the marketing strategy. We can talk about our line haul delivery strategy. And if you want to bring technology to the table, yeah, I got that too. So now it's a superhero. You can can do one that one. And that's now how you reach an officer of a company when you can now speak to the bottom line and contribute in multiple ways. And oh, by the way, when I started to speak, no one ever pushed back. Yeah. Because you were that well Exactly. And at the end of the day, if you're driving bottom line value, yeah. then speak on it. Now let me ask you this. So would you say that your confidence and your ability to speak up came from you being more uh, astute on the subject matter? And I would call that more so being able to see the company and its mission as a whole, right? So now you're just looking at looking at it from different lenses. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're basically watching how different parts of the company works and stuff like that, you know, what you see in the city and stuff like that. Is that what drove you to say, I want to speak up and change your perspective? Or... Well, it's one of those when you, you know, I stopped thinking through what I got my degree field in. Because most people will refer to themselves as their education background. I'm an IT professional. I'm a marketing professional. I'm an accountant. But you're not working for an accounting company or an IT company. You're working in a business that has a bottom line delivery that it's executing on. I'm in the logistics business, so if I'm not discussing and can't have an articulate conversation about logistics, I'm only going to go so far in the company, because we're officers of the company. So we have to make strategic decisions in the best interest of the bottom line. Well, if you don't understand the bottom line of what we do, then you can't contribute and you exclude yourself when you're seated at the table. But once you can contribute, oh, believe me, when when you add something of value, that drives revenue, yeah. it doesn't matter what color you are. Yeah. Right. Everybody listen, because yeah. right. you're bringing green. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Chris, you said something that, that uh, is really important. In addition to learning about the business, you talked about getting to the point where you could bring your authentic self to the workplace, mm-hmm. where, where you were not just coming there trying to be who you thought you needed to be and not necessarily who you really wanted to be or who you were. And that, that's, that's the same story here. Um, getting to the point where you're very comfortable, where you can bring your personal values and you can align those personal values with what's important to the business. Uh, I often tell my staff the same story that Chris is talking about, but I, I remember the story about when John F. Kennedy went into NASA 
And uh, he talked to the guy who was cleaning the floor, and he asked the guy what his job was. He said, my job is to put a man on the moon. So when I try to get my, folk, my folks focused on what they're doing, not the task at hand, but the value that they bring, which is getting a package on the belt, uh, that package getting on the belt profitably, and uh, that brings it all back home. So I may be over here doing a marketing campaign, or I may be working on a new set of technologies, but all in all, if a package doesn't get on the belt, and that package isn't on the belt profitably, we don't exist. So that's the real important thing uh, that I think is that we should all focus on. And the other thing that I wanted to uh, share is, you know, we, Chris talked about paying it forward. Uh, I know you interviewed Tony Waller earlier today. I uh, was having a, a conversation with him, and one of the things he said that I thought was extremely profound, he said his mom told him one time is that, uh, how are you going to get any more water if you don't empty the cup? So that whole idea of emptying that cup so you can get more is, is the whole premise of paying it forward. Mm-hmm. So we sit here sometimes and we think, I want more, I want a bigger house. But if I don't get rid of some of the things that, that hold me back, get rid of some of the things that's already sitting there in that cup, I can't get anything more. So you know, supporting other people who, who, who look like me, uh, other people who aspire to that, and offering them a, a course to get there is what's really important. And that's the challenge that, that probably keeps me up at night because I look at you know what's going on in the world. I look at the demographics of the company. We all talk diversity. We all talk inclusion. But it's got to start somewhere. And it's got to be more than just a, a, a conversation. It's got to translate into some actions. And those actions have to, again, be bottom line based. You can't talk about diversity and inclusion as a benevolent type of activity. There's value behind the collective genius that occurs when everybody has a voice at the table and everybody feels comfortable to share their voice in terms of making a difference in the, in, in the, the company culture. And the culture translates into the power of uh, people working together and more profit. And hopefully it gets in our pockets too. You know, uh, I start my day at uh, about 4.15 a.m. I get up in the morning and... Uh, than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what I've come to realize is the only time of the day that I have complete control over my schedule is early in the morning. So I get up and I go to the gym. You know, I'm, I'm not an athlete, I'm not a bodybuilder, but it gives me uh, a, a good perspective for my day. You know, it keeps me healthy. Uh, I get finished at the gym roughly an hour later, and then I have roughly an hour to come down from the gym and to really mentally prepare for my day. And uh, I'm just, I'm a morning person, so that works for me. That, that works for me, and that, that's one of the rituals that I go through to that. I love my lunch hour, you know. I don't think anybody really truly has a lunch hour anymore, but I love that midday break. That's when I connect with people uh, of like mind, 
uh, and recharge and think about what's ahead of me and maybe even exchange and share some perspectives on what my first half of the day would with to get some insights that help me through the second half of my day. Uh, I'm, I'm usually, that, that's a time where I can usually reach out to, you know, you talk about individuals like Chris, other people who have families, at the end of their day, they're going home to spend some quality time with their family. So most time, that's a, that's a, a great time to be able to reconnect with other business professionals, uh, colleagues, friends. Um, that's, that's, that's my calibration time where I, I, I spend some time to get back on track. And, and then the other thing that I think is important, you know, who do you call when the burden gets heavy, both at work and personally? You know, you reach out to people who sometimes you just want a listening ear. You know, I, I don't need anything but you to grunt when, when I say something. And if you agree, grunt twice, because I really want to know, you know, that, that you're hearing and that you're supporting me and that you're available to me. So the, the networking uh, channels to have open dialogue and talk about what's going on, all those things important. And then I like giving back. Uh, you know, I, I, there's some, some uh, not-for-profit organizations that are near and dear to my heart, and I spend some time trying to make a difference through those organizations as well. And which of those organizations uh, are you involved in? I am a huge fan, a passionate fan, of the National Black NBA Association. I went to my first uh, National Black NBA conference and exposition in 1997, and I haven't missed one since. Uh, and I currently hold the position of treasurer on the National Board of Directors. Uh, love everything about what they do in terms of creating wealth and creating career opportunities for African Americans. And then on the social uh, business side, my fraternity. Love Cap Alpha Psi. Uh, I love the fundamental purpose of achievement. It motivates me. The other part I love is something we, when we talk about altruism, the unselfish concern for the welfare of another. You know, that, that the concepts of uh, the double A's, achievement and altruism, work for me. And uh, so those are two things that I, I'll mention as being important to me in terms of uh, giving back and networking. So for me, and uh, you know, a lot of the things, I don't wake up at four fifteen every morning. Just, <laughs> it, I tried it, <laughs> couldn't, su- couldn't sustain it, couldn't sustain it. Uh, but there's definitely a, a daily meditation. But the thing I would say that most people recognize me for at work is a simple smile. It's not too many, too often you gonna catch me not smile, and it's because there's a there's a principle that I keep near and dear to my heart and it, you know I stole it from T.D. Jake so I'll give him credit for it uh, but in, in the 10 steps to working in a hostile environment the last number 10 was always keep your song near you so I always start my day with music to set the tone when I leave a tough meeting I'll put some headphones on or I'll go in my office and turn on the right song at lunch it's music so through, and then I I wrap my day up with music. What's your theme song, bro? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta tell us. You gotta tell us. What's your theme song? Me oh, find it. Look, it really it, it it depends on the what I'm going into. Now, if I'm if I'm going into a, a challenge, it, it's Eminem and Eight Mile. <laughs> you know that. Yeah. You know how how it starts off that that beat that get get your head moving, get you pumped up, ready to go into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to hit it then. Yeah. Uh, but usually, if I need to relax, uh-huh. it's, it's some nice jazz. Okay. 
like calm me down on those tough meetings where you know we're debating some issues and I don't agree with the direction and I got to relax. It's like all right, let me let me get some some nice jazz going. Um, so so it I, you know I like multiple genres of music uh, and I'll pick the one based on the mood I need to be in, but more importantly, to keep the smile. Just keep your song near What What three things would you tell somebody? Nobody can escape the Create Your Life interview without this question. Okay. Just kind of put this out there. What three things would you tell somebody who's looking to create their best life? Uh, have a plan. Work the plan. And find as many cheerleaders as you can to help you along the way. I would say find your purpose and know your purpose. Then connect your purpose to solving someone else's problem. Because once you solve somebody else's problem, guess what they're willing to do? Pay you for it. And then keep your, your motives pure. I'm Diane. I have a daughter, Nikki, and she's a senior at high school. She just got accepted for early decision into college. Prior to taking Kevin's program, we were pretty overwhelmed because her college debt after her merit scholarships looks like it's going to be about $150,000 in four years. Feeling pretty overwhelmed about that $150,000 potential debt, I decided to enroll in Kevin's debt-free college academy full course program. And I have to say the value for the money uh, for what we got out of the program was absolutely amazing. Kevin takes you step by step with many, many different tips and many different strategies for not only the student, but for us as parents, for our student, things that we can do to really help save money and prepare. If you or your child are looking to save money on college costs, sign up for Debt Free College Academy today at DebtFreeCollegeAcademy.com using coupon code FREECOLLEGE. Beautiful people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL Series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed, and we'll see you back here live next week. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life.